Relax. You're quite safe here. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today. And I usually do the plugs here, but you know what's going on here. We're in the middle of the Prince tribute. This is part two of four. We're going through the entire discography in order. And when we last left at the end of part one, finishing up Sigh of the Times from 1987. And Sigh of the Times was a success. I mean, it's like that thing, once you follow up Purple Rain, even if you go a million, two million, three million, people are still going to be like, well, it didn't sell as much as Purple Rain. And that's got to suck for a guy like that just to hear that kind of shit because I'm sure he heard it a lot. And I don't know if that's what led to this or not because, like I said, nothing to be ashamed of. Sign of the Times, big record, successful tour in the sense that it was sold out all around the world. They filmed one of those shows for a concert film, which did make it into theaters. And I, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe I know I was still pretty young, so I would have had to have like my parents take me to it. So I never got to see the damn thing in the theater, which is a massive regret. And it's like completely out of print on disc in the States. And it's available overseas as a quote-unquote import. But I've still, to this day, never seen a quality, full-length Sign of the Times concert film. But I gotta imagine... That's got to be top priority over there at the Rhino offices at this point. I'm sure I'll get a Blu-ray. Let's have the fingers crossed. Right. But like I said, I'm not sure if the pressure and hearing those kind of things, once you uh, achieve something artistically, you know, like Sign of the Times, Parade, great records, and they're always like, it's no Purple Rain. I'm sure he heard that from somebody. So I'm not sure if this led to it or not. But judging from all of the bios I've read on him, this year here, 1987, going into 1988, is supposedly the one and only time that he experimented with hardcore drugs and hallucinogens. And out of that, he started recording this album, which would later become known as the Black Album. Yes, he was the first guy in real life to have a Black Album. Covers all black, nothing on the back, nothing on the spine, the whole thing. He records this album, and knowing that I know this now, like I said, this is just strictly based on the bios I've read. I wasn't there, but the album, the first half of it, sounds like pretty much where Prince was going after Sign of the Times. I don't really hear the supposed drug stuff until halfway through the record. But once it kicks in, it's like, wow. It's like when Sly Stone wouldn't get out of bed and they apparently just used to wheel the microphone over to the side of the bed. He'd lean over and do his vocal, and that was a take. It almost starts to get into that. Now, Prince, even if he's supposedly on LSD or whatever during the Black Album, still brilliant, but it's definitely a different kind of brilliant. So I'm going to play you. There's nothing really that rock on the Black Album. And the reason I'm playing it here at the top of part two is because even though it was officially released later on in 1993 by Warner Brothers at the complete, complete protest of Prince, but that was when they were really beefing, 
Um, I'm doing it because this is the timeline proper. So, like I said, nothing majorly rock on the Black Album. But I think this is one of the more interesting songs. It's almost like the one and only time he really gets into even discussing hip-hop. Which, you know, there was a little bit of that with New Power Generation, but this was the first time he really addressed hip-hop as a culture. But it's just kind of this weird James Brown kind of jam. Uh, But I'll I'll let you be the judge. So we're going to kick off part two in kind of an unorthodox fashion. So from the Black Album, this is Prince with Dead On It. Please, please, please. Should be like that on it. What does that have to 
know I'm busy Who's skizzy? Can't nobody fuck with me Cause I'm dead Kicking off part two of our Prince tribute here on Rock Strikes 10. Yes, not a very rock and roll fashion, but if you're a friend of mine, you know that's not always the case. So I thought Dead On It was at least upbeat enough to be a, a good intro. But if you want to hear the true peak of Prince's supposed drug hallucination, then the song that follows that on the Black Album, Bob George, that's the one you want to go reference because, man, whew. All right, and... So the legend of the Black Album only grew after it did not get released. Prince supposedly came to his senses, completely sobered up, realized what he had done, because he records very quick, <laughs> realized and claimed that the album was evil and should never see the light of day. This album has already been pressed half a million times by Warner Brothers been sent out to most places uh, they start out you know sending stuff overseas you know because it takes longer to get there so America really didn't have it but it was in route and supposedly from what I understand once again referencing some of the many bios that are out there Warner Brothers literally had to go steal all of the boxes away from the places that it, it wound up in because if they put the word out that the album was recalled or pulled or just completely like we're not putting this out every copy would have disappeared it would have hit the black market immediately and even then with all that effort it was nothing they could prevent because certain critics had already gotten it and it just turned into tape copies and and I remember even as a kid I was reading Rolling Stone back when they were still a pretty decent read but I always loved an end-of-the-year list and I would constantly see the Black Album show up on critics and uh, artists picks of the year. I'm like, what is this Black Album? I'm a big Prince fan at this point. And I'm like, it says Prince the Black Album and I have no idea what it is. And I can't hear this thing. I don't see it in stores. So the legend grew in my mind and the fact that those in the know and the really cool people are the only ones that had copies of this Black Album. So like I said, not until 1993 whenever you know the contractual obligation kind of thing started kicking in and Warner made good on at least pressing half a million copies no more it's out of print but it happened and I finally got a CD copy of the Black Album so happy ending for me not so much for Prince and he immediately goes back into the studio records a very positive album very upbeat album called Love Sexy 1988 not my favorite album cover, unless you like seeing Prince fully nude. But uh, another interesting thing, there is a Black Album reference. And, and most hardcore fans know this, but once you watch the video for Alphabet Street, there's actually a vertical scroll that's written sideways. About a minute in, it reads up, Please do not buy the Black Album. I'm sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're on to Love Sexy, and I like Love Sexy. You uh, CD guys and iTunes guys know what I'm talking about here. One track. Yes, there are more than one track on the album proper, but technically it is one track. No skipping on this one. You're in it for the long haul, okay? So 
I'm going to play you my personal favorite song on here. A lot more upbeat and a lot more rocking than something like Dead On It, per se. Really fun song here, so check it out. Also the name of the club he would own later on. This is Glam Slam.
my little glam slam for you off of Love Sexy. And yes, uh, thank you, editing software, because you could hear it on its own <laughs> via that editing software. Yeah, I wonder once the reissues start finally piling on, which it will be the first time ever his catalog is reissued once, you know. Like I said, it's got to be top priority over at the Rhino Warner office. But I wonder if they're going to keep to that one track thing where they're going to rebel against Prince's idea and make it separate tracks. Time will tell. Time will tell. But yeah, like I said, I like Love Sex. There's some cool stuff on there. I don't mention some of the other tracks as much as I should on these episodes, but yeah, of course, Alphabet Street. Uh, Anastasia's cool. I think I've seen that one live, actually. And I Wish You Heaven is a cool song as well. And uh, yeah, I think definitely a reaction to Black Album. I was talking with my CNJ radio partner, Chris, about how I think the positivity and a lot, even more religious overtone than he was even doing before. I think that's maybe getting out of that drug thing. A lot of guys do that, and I feel like maybe that's what happened. If that's truly what happened, Love Sexy is a textbook reaction to something like that. So, Moving on here, something that I think a lot more people are aware of this album and own this album, more so than Love Sexy. 1989 rolls around, and the story goes, Tim Burton comes up to Prince, says that there are two specific songs he wants to put in his new Batman movie project. Backstory, Prince being a big Batman fan, matter of fact, he went on record saying the first song he ever taught himself how to play was the theme to the 60s Batman television series on piano. And so obviously he felt very close to this project. So much so it's like, well, I mean, you've already heard these two songs. I'm just going to do a whole record. Here you go. And that's basically what he did. And once again, and I'll say this over and over again on these specials, being the true innovator that he is and was, nobody ever did this. I mean, you don't have a full soundtrack by one artist on the whole thing. And not only that, I mean, adding in the film dialogue, that was unheard of. Now that's like commonplace. You hear that like on every other soundtrack. And the first time it ever happened was on Prince's Batman soundtrack. So, And I love this record. I think it holds up really well. So damn the Shaun of the Dead reference, honestly. Great movie, but they got it wrong. Do not throw the Batman soundtrack because this is a great record. There's some good rock and roll on here, too. It's got a little bit of everything that you... It, it really is. It, it's that nice handshake into everything that Prince is all about. Like, what he accomplished during 1999 on Purple Rain. Batman is a very good record and very accessible. This is one of my favorite ones. So if you're a big fan of the 89 Batman like I am, you'll recognize this song from the charity ball scene early on in the movie. This is a cool one right here. This is Electric Chair. Locked us, making us 
Some electric chair from the Batman soundtrack, 1989. Still love that, even with all the remakes and everything. Still love that 89 Batman. Chris is uh, actually hanging with me in the studio. Chris, do you agree with that statement? Yes, the Bat 89 is. Mm, man, the, the Dark Knight is probably my favorite, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I can get down with that. Dark Knight's his favorite. I'm always going to have that soft spot for 89 Batman, though. I think Chris agrees with me on that one. Right? Yes. All right. Thank you, Chris. They're so different. It's hard, it's hard to do. They're so different. They're, they're so different. But it's all there for whatever you want. That's, that's what's great about pop culture and art and all that great stuff. Moving on here. Now, this is kind of the rub. This is where I, I even said this on part one. Whenever I'm going to tell you, like, this is own every album until I say so I think we might be getting to that point where I say you, if unless you can get it, you like get a good deal on it, second hand or you know a few bucks on Amazon, that kind of thing 
we're going to talk about Graffiti Bridge, 1990. Now, I threw that warning at the beginning of it, but I really should say also, Graffiti Bridge, it, it's just, it was a failed project almost from the get-go. It, it's, it's this film soundtrack, he's going to make a new movie, you know, after he did, you know, Purple Rain, he did Under the Cherry Moon, he did the concert film, and there's basically a sequel in line for Purple Rain. Now, that, that almost kind of is just so anti-Prince, because, like, why would he want to go back? And I feel like it just was the wrong move altogether. That being said, there's some great music on this soundtrack, but where it fails, and this is not dogging anybody else that appears on the soundtrack, because it's, it's more like a, a proper soundtrack, and then there's various artists on here. Now, even though most of the songs were written by Prince, He's not lead vocaling on all of the songs. And even though there's songs by The Time on there, which I love The Time, love Morris Day, all that stuff, you got Tevin Campbell and, and Mavis Staples on here, and, and they're talented and everything, but it, sound, it's just, it makes it for more of a disjointed listen, and I'm sure I'm not alone there, which is why it wasn't the biggest success he ever had. It was probably the least successful record he ever had up until that point. And the film bombed. Yeah, I'm not going to beat around the bush there. And to the point where I don't even have a good memory of this movie. I know I like rented it once and maybe saw it on cable once, but this has been like way over 25 years now. But I, I finally sat down and listened to this album again for the first time in a long time. And, you know, I'd like to think that not even in death, but I found some really cool songs on here and... You know, I, I went and did some more research on Graffiti Bridge, to be honest. I'm using, like, no notes on this show. But, you know, I went and wikied it and everything, and come to find out that well, what I consider to be the standout tracks on this uh, soundtrack to Graffiti Bridge, really the songs that stand out uh, were actually songs that were either demoed or recorded from, like, years ago. Like, this song I'm going to play here, which is actually the kickoff track on the album called can't stop this feeling I got. This dates all the way back to the Controversy album in 1982. Now, I can tell there's a lot of stuff on the basic track, being a production nerd that I am. I can hear a lot of stuff that's definitely from that era. There's that cool, funky, like, clean guitar tone, but then you can hear the 1990 production, like, kind of layered into it to make it more updated sounding. But you can definitely hear elements from the Controversy album on this track. Tell me I'm lying. And uh, we'll come back. I'm going to play this song, and I'll tell you a few other songs you definitely got to listen to on this record. But for now, check this out. Opening track on Graffiti Bridge. Can't stop this feeling I got. Check it out. Dear Dad, things didn't turn out quite like I wanted them to. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to explode. Yeah. Every man, woman, 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 wo
there you go can't stop this feeling i got like i said i really love that song and you can really hear elements of the controversy album on there i'm not crazy it's there for sure chris gave me a second opinion and, and agreed with me so thank you chris no problem. all right uh but yeah like i said i'm gonna give you a few more songs to go for on this album i'm not gonna play them because like i said one song one record but if you're looking into graffiti bridge you know if you're doing the itunes thing like i said you could probably find it very well discounted even today on cd so get that if you can but if you're just going to cherry pick get a few songs get the question of you also and definitely get elephants and flowers i know it's a stupid song title but that song is so good like i i damn near picked that for this i I probably should have played that but man it's like tied they're so different and also a song called joy and repetition really highly original song 
I've been re-listening to that one a lot. I've been re-listening to that one and Elephants and Flowers a lot lately. So yeah, there's just something. Maybe it's because it just sounds new and fresh. A lot of these songs, they really do. And I got to definitely also give it up just on principle for a song on this album called We Can Funk. And it's not the only time they collaborated, but it's really one of the main recordings you can get with Prince and George Clinton getting together and just being as funky as you could possibly think of that needed to happen in this lifetime and i'm glad it did so let's move on the 90s have come and it's got to be tough you know for you know any any of these acts that were big in the decade prior i mean i feel like there's that internal struggle to stay relevant and you know all those things that you go through there's some people that can pull it off i believe prince did pull it off i mean he's always you know, doing the chameleon thing, putting a whole bunch of different musical styles into what's going on, staying current, all that stuff. And with uh, forming the, you know, post-revolution band called the New Power Generation, which they start creeping in by Graffiti Bridge, uh, comes full force for the Diamonds and Pearls record in 1991. I mean, he even added a co-lead singer practically. I mean, he brings in Rosie Gaines. And Rosie's all over those singles. I mean, you know those songs. Get Off, Cream, Diamonds and Pearls. When he finally committed Nothing Compares to You. You know, that live version that you hear on the hits. Rosie sings half of that song. I mean, so she's all over it. Uh, but Rosie definitely has stayed in the family. You know, it, you know, they, they called her up and she'd show up at shows. So we, we like Rosie. Uh, but I'm going to play you this song here. Like I said, there's tons of cool stuff on Diamonds and Pearls. You know, I almost totally went with the single. Because, I mean, dude... Get Off is like quintessential Prince. I mean, you put on Get Off, especially if you are if you can find like the, the really cool 12-inch version, that 8-minute version. Super extra funky and nasty. And, and that's just, like I said, everything you want in a Prince dance hit is in Get Off. And a lot of good rock and roll in it, too. So, can't say enough about that. You know, Cream's great. Diamonds and Pearls is great. All that good stuff. But here's a, here's a fun deep track on here. I think you'll like this one here. This one's called... Live for love. Launch, procedure, commence, countdown, start, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five,
this.
Live for Love from Diamonds and Pearls. I think probably his last really great selling record, honestly. I think that was his last multi-platinum record. You know, that wasn't a compilation or something like that, but I feel like that's the case. Maybe this next album did that. You know, I, I, these are the notes I didn't take because, you know, I'm really not about record sales. <laughs> That sounds really hipster. I don't mean it to. I'm not. I'm not that snobby. I do know my stats here and there, but uh, you know, I feel like maybe this next one, "Love Symbol," I'm talking about. I, maybe it went platinum. I don't know. This was that. Uh, you know, that we're getting into that bridge where he is now going to stop being called Prince, and it, it's not immediately. It's not on the drop of this album that that is happening, but during the course of this record, it is happening. It's ironic for an album whose first track is called My Name is Prince. So, interesting. And then I'd heard rumblings, you know, like I said, once again, these bios, where he was already thinking about changing his name way before this, and he's going to finally pull the trigger, and it's a means to have that protest with his uh, constant battling between himself and Warner Brothers. A lot of people very familiar with that. So he puts out this album, which is an unpronounceable symbol. It has become known as the Love Symbol album, which is what the symbol is supposed to be about. You know, the glyph, whatever you want to call it. But, hey, let's not discount the fact. I, I, I do believe that this is a stronger album than Diamonds and Pearls. So by that rationale, it should have been a lot bigger, but it didn't have as many hit singles on it as Diamonds and Pearls. But I remember Seven was a big song. So that was probably one of his last really big hits in America, especially. So uh, I really do dig a lot of the Love Symbol album. Of course, My Name is Prince is cool. Sexy Motherfucker, that one can't be denied. That's a classic. And uh, he was playing that song live like years before he ever put it out, which was not the norm for him. He would play B-sides live, but I don't think he really played a lot of unreleased stuff. So that was a song, it's like he tested it, and it definitely passed with Flying Colors. That's another essential track you gotta check out. And I think the Love Symbol album is pretty solid, top to bottom. Fun fact, but you could probably tell if you're a decent enough follower of pop culture. The woman's voice that's in all the skits, there's a handful of skits of this lady reporter trying to interview him during the course of the album. And, you know, she fails for the whole record. But that is Kirstie Alley on that record, so fun fact for you if you didn't know. I'm going to play this track that's deep on the album and deep into the album. This is the epic of the album, and it's so cool. There's so much going on in this song, I can't even describe it. I'm just going to have to let it do the talking, if I may use a cliche. Uh, but yeah, check this one out. This is Three Chains of Gold. If I don't think about the fact that you left me If I don't see the pearls fall from the sky If I don't hear the accusations of blasphemy If I don't feel the tears in my eyes this is the best day of
What to say about that song? I, I, I've heard the Love Symbol album many times. I guess I haven't heard the album in a few years, but man, what a track that is. Three Chains of Gold. And that kind of song is really one of the reasons why I do a show like this the way I do it. So you can hear something like that. You're not going to hear that anywhere else. 
At least I don't think so. So that one was a nice epic, which is the understatement of the special here. So let's get into something uh, from an album. You know, it's it's not a proper studio album. Matter of fact, Prince was not happy at all in 1993 whenever Warner Brothers decided to release uh, a hits compilation. Uh, hits 1, Hits 2, and the B-sides. Two separately sold discs, one of more mass appeal commercial hits, and the other one, you know, a little more sexy. And then if you bought the box set, you got the third extra disc with the B-sides. According to one of the books that was written about him, Warner Brothers actually paid Prince to not get involved <laughs> with the greatest hits release. He wanted to put a different album out. We're going to talk about that one after this track. But for now, one of the lone, really brand new tracks that came with the Hits package. It was actually on Hits 2 because it's sexy. Oh man, is this song sexy. This is the kind of song that uh, you know, very few... And I love music and everything it does for me mentally and, and otherwise. This is one of those rare songs that really gets me... In the mood, yeah. Not even kidding about that. Not even trying to be funny. It's a sexy fucking song. So here you go. This is Peach. Uh oh. Here she comes. She got the gold hot pants on again. Yeah, man. I wanna talk. Die. If I kissed her, I would try, but I'm last. 
that song so much that I even have the maxi single for it. That was Peach by Prince. Maybe even like the last song released under the name Prince for a while. 1993 off of Hits 2 or the Hits and B-Sides collection which you do that's definitely a must own. I mean, yeah, I could gripe about the fact that a lot of the songs are edits but it does make it unique to someone that has the original albums. And plus you get more songs on there by editing. I understand all that. I understand what a hits collection does. But worth it for the B-sides. I said that before on part one. Go check it out. Now, I alluded to the album that Prince wanted to release in 1993 after he had changed his name. Much to the head-scratching of the rest of the world. And he wants to put an album out under the name New Power Generation, solely the New Power Generation, not even putting the symbol on it. And the album was called Gold Nigga. Yes. You can imagine the reaction to this, I'm sure, by the label. Label refuses to put it out and, of course, goes to work on the best of. He releases this album strictly through direct sales at concerts and a telephone line that he set up for direct mail. And those that was the only way you could get it. I should have picked one up myself back when it was out. You know what? I had no knowledge that this record had even been released until years later. Of course, by that time, massively out of print. Way too expensive. I still don't own a physical copy of this. We This is the first album I'm going to play on this special that I don't own a physical copy of. I will admit it, had to go through devious means to obtain a copy of Gold Nigga. The guy who uh, hooked me up with that, you know who you are. Extra special thanks to you. And yeah, I listened to this album for the first time. I'm, I'm going to admit it. I listened to this album for the first time, top to bottom, a few days ago. And I've listened to it a lot since then. It's it's very interesting. It's it is. Uh, I don't even know a way to say it without sounding like an asshole or digging a hole here. But it's definitely the most militant album that he ever did. Uh, easily, it's it's. Uh, he's angry. He's mad at the label, and there's a lot of label commentary on there, and there's a lot of swagger on it as well. And you're not getting any of these tracks played on the radio either, so and that's why we love them. Let's give you an idea on what this record's about, okay? This is my favorite song on the record right now, because 
It's so over the top. It's a super fun song. Uh, you know, you have to have a sense of humor when you listen to this. Otherwise, you're just not going to get the joke. And, you know, you'll hear it. Here you go. This is the MPG with black motherfuckers in the house. Hey, yo, what up, man? I'm just what the this People can't come in here. What you talking about, man? This is not the place. You don't want to do is use your telephone. Hey, why you white motherfucking pecklewood? You redneck son of a bitch. I kick your motherfucking ass. Shit is boring. 
Why don't you boots do a solo or something? Hey, boy, you gonna play the piano or just bang on it? generation there with black motherfuckers in the house it's fun to say though right i mean i i, I do have to admit but yeah like i said off of 1993's never released in stores properly the album titled gold nigga all due respect that's the album title all right speaking of which that that was rapper tony m who appeared uh, in the initial New Power Generation. You hear him a lot on Diamonds and Pearls and stuff like that, and and on the Love Symbol album here and there, but mostly on the Diamonds and Pearls record. I know they had a falling out later on, but there you go. That's the uh, same guy, and he does most of the vocals on the record. And, and also, uh, really, that part where, if you didn't realize it, doing the, the white guy voice, that is Prince doing the white guy voice on that track. That's one of the few times you actually hear his voice on the record. Obviously, he wrote most of the record, you know, lyrically and musically and stuff like that, if not all of it. It's, there's not a lot of good credits and liner notes for it that I have in front of me, but yeah, he just he, he made it sound like a band effort, really. So it's, it's a neat album just based on that. I do recommend a listen of it, whether it's, you know, on whatever site you can get it on. Let's just put it that way. It's moving on here. Here's another very unorthodox album. 1994 rolls around. The relationship between the artist and the label, no better. Matter of fact, it's getting massively strained to the point where, you know, obviously, you know, killing the name off of Prince. They're not happy. They do put out an album under the name Prince entitled Come, which is actually most of the material at that point, and even the album was written off by the man himself, as old material, this, uh, which means like it's like two and three year old stuff. So he didn't have anything to do with it coming out at that time and blew it off when it came out. And it's, it's honestly one of those albums I didn't go back and listen to a whole lot as a fan. Listen to it occasionally here and there throughout the years, but uh, you know, it, it's aged pretty damn well. And I always like to use to call it a concept album about the female orgasm. And it is, to a point. It does pay it off as well. So, a really cool song that just really stuck out on this last listen here. So, from the album Come, this is 
loose. Ready, whoop it up, yeah. artist always likes to keep us guessing and obviously not aloof to the stuff going around the time i mean come on that's a heavy rock industrial track i bet you didn't expect an industrial track out of the man but it's right there i mean you hear that dance beat i'm sure you got a little nervous thinking that i've lost my mind right that playing a playing a dance record on rock strikes 10 still a very cool track and Man, good production on there, and 
I dig that. I think it's super cool. So go check out the Come record. Stuff like that, Loose and Let It Go. Cool stuff. It's got great atmosphere to it. It's a little all over the place, and it's a super dark record. Maybe it's because, you know, a lot of times the album cover kind of gives you that mentality that the album is darker than it really is, but it does feel that way. You know, with all the negativity going on, label politics, standing in front of a cemetery on the album cover, proclaiming that Prince is dead, and all that stuff. And there were many songs that either he tried to get on the record or the label. It's There's a lot of stuff out there and conflictive reports on what went on uh, as far as him just even turning in the material that would become the record come. He cut a lot of stuff off of there and he did something that he normally didn't do, which is start working on a new album using those songs that didn't make the cut. And basically all the uh, more rock and roll oriented songs went on to the next album, which would be called The Gold Experience. Now, I love The Gold Experience. I think that is one of the most essential albums you could possibly get in the man's catalog. It's up there with any of his classic records. I mean, I think it's super essential, and every time I listen to it, it gets better and better. It's a really, really good record. And, you know, maybe even trying to replicate some of Purple Rain on here and, you know, I, I, I can't fault him for trying to do it. I mean, it, the, I hear a lot of shades of it on this record, more so than any other album that he ever did post-Purple Rain. So that's how I feel about it, at least. So if you've never heard this, I, and I can't believe if you haven't heard this at least once or twice, and there was even a single and video for this, not that it ever really got played, but it's just a cool song. It makes me feel good. It's real positive. And I think this is the best possible way to close off part two here of our very special tribute to the man. So here you go. Closing off part two. This is gold. Turn it up. Cannot see the top unless you fly. And there's a molehill, a proven ground. And ain't nowhere to go if you hang around. Everybody wants to sell what's already been sold. Everybody wants to tell what's already been told. Some money if you ain't gonna break the mold Even at the center of the fire There is cold All that glitters People living there, they're unhappy. 
day But hell is not fashion So what you trying to say Everybody wants to sell what's already been sold Everybody wants to tell what's already been told What's the use of money if you ain't gonna break the mold Even at the center of the fire There is cold
You are now an official member of the new power generation. Welcome to the dawn. Closing off part two of our special tribute to the man. That was gold. Off of the album, The Gold Experience. Once again, great record. Go pick that one up. I know it's out of print, but you could probably find it somewhere. It's it's so worth it. Uh, you know, I'm sure at some point it'll also be reissued properly. That's definitely a must-own out of the catalog. Easily and probably even in my top five, you know, out of the, the almost 40 records out. That's in the that's in the top twenty five percent, the top quarter. So in the top ten of anybody's list for his discography, Gold Experience should be in there. Great stuff on there. Billy Jack Bitch, even have uh, his last biggest hit, really, the most beautiful girl in the world, also on there. There's a great track on there called Just Shh. Yeah, that's the name of it. Actually, that song sticks out a lot because when I saw the Musicology tour. The guitar solo he did for that song is probably the greatest live guitar solo I've ever witnessed in my life. And I think he even knew that at the time, too, because he just he's playing that, that uh, brown strat from the Purple Rain movie. And he finishes the solo, takes the guitar off, lays it down on the ground, throws a towel on it, and walks away from it. How fucking cool is that? So, there you go. We're gonna That, that ends part two. We're going to get out of here. Join me on part three. It's already out. It's up there in the feed. As are all the episodes of Rock Strikes 10 on cnjradio.com. Go there for everything, all the links. Extra special thanks to Pete and the guys from Spacebeard for the outro. We'll see you on part three right now. Have fun. <laughs>